0: And I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, I like broken things too. Mm. Not in a way that like God indulges in in our brokenness, but in a way that I think as humans we're so afraid of our shadow, Mm. our brokenness, that we hide it away from others and then from ourselves.
1: Welcome to Resurrection Covenant's Letters to the Church, a series where we get to hear from people from all different walks of life, tell us what they would like to say to the church at this moment. And today we're so very excited to welcome teacher, counselor, and writer, Dr. Elizabeth Pierre.
2: Yay. Elizabeth.
1: <laughs> Elizabeth is a professor of pastoral care and counseling and counseling psychology at
2: mm-hmm. both
1: North Park Theological Seminary and the university. Uh, and she researches, among other things, um, care for survivors of sexual violence and how contextual factors such as race, culture, and gender impact experiences of trauma and recovery. And she's a wonderful colleague and friend. Um, so, okay. welcome, Elizabeth. And thank you so thank much for you. taking the time to chat with us. Yeah.
0: Thank, thank you. you so much, Pastor Dave and Pastor Aaron. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Of course. So the first question is kind of that get to know you question for the people. So we we worded it like this. Some introverts haven't found it helpful. But if you were at a party and someone asked you about who you are and what makes you you, how would you respond? Or another way to ask it is what informs or shapes how you show up in the world?
0: Mm, I love that question. And I don't want to be like too cheesy or over spiritual. But you know what? When I was the church show, but. I see myself as one who brings others to the father's heart, God's heart, like in whatever way, whether it's through counseling, whether it's through teaching, but someone who I think, especially in counseling and in the work I did as a minister, people have some warped ideas of who God is. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that God is kinder, stronger, um more loving than we give God credit for. Uh God of justice that they're not there, they can coexist together. So and that God is fun and also quirky because we have that in ourselves. And so um I find joy in having people kind of g- giving them the opportunity to see God in that way, to reflect God in that way. Mm-hmm. So I hope that answers the question.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I already have like bunches of questions running through my head, but uh, yeah. um, you know, as as you know, we're in the midst of a really disruptive summer. Um, these mm-hmm. are, um, you, it's fair to say these are unique times. Um, they aren't getting as much attention these days, but we continue to see countrywide protests for Black Lives Matter and that struggle for justice. Um, we, we just celebrated Pride Month, and then of course we have COVID-19 and quarantine and it's kind of exploding in hotspots in different parts of the country. These are extraordinary times. And there are all kinds of feelings and emotions, disruption, uncertainty, struggle, grief. And you can imagine, and in many cases, we don't even need to imagine that this is a time when people are wrestling with experiences of trauma and, and mental health issues and ongoing struggles. And I just I thought one, one of the things we could talk about it, your vocation and your experience and some of your research, um, and also your previous experience of pastoring. Um, how would you encourage the church um, to respond or engage in this particular moment, in light of all of these things that are unfolding and what they might mean for people who are already experiencing trauma or mental struggles? Um, perhaps another way to think about it is like, how, how would what's the role of the church in this thing? And I know that's a big question.
0: It is, but it's okay. Um, you know, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm one of those people that I don't want to like over like, uh, what's the word? Make it more complicated than what it is. Sometimes the simple things are the most, the, the, the blessing. And for the church, especially right now, it's okay to be where you're at, um, to acknowledge um, your struggles, I think there's still the sense like I gotta, you know, I gotta get prayed up and I should be feeling okay, especially if you're in ministry or you're in a particular way. But as one of my old mentors and pastors said in the past, she's like, you know what? She was talking about her own trauma and she said, some days you're going to have good days and some days you're going to have hard days and Christ is in both of them. Hmm. So people just need to give themselves space to grieve, to be not okay some days. Um, to be great some days, but sometimes people feel guilty saying, "You know, I should feel <laughs> so great today." There's nothing wrong with feeling great in the midst of COVID, too. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so just accepting and honoring where you are. Um, I for those I have friends right now who are specifically struggling. Um, they already they had latent mental health concerns, so COVID has exacerbated them. But there's no shame in that. I think there's also a lot of shame, Tang. Like, why am I still struggling with this? Mental illness, any type of recovery from any trauma is a process. Give yourself a freaking break. <laughs> some <laughs> yeah. days are just yeah. going to be freaking hard, no matter how hard you tried, no matter the medication you're on. Some days you're just going to have hard days. And accepting that is actually an important part of healing.
2: Mm.
0: Not to deny wow. it, not to minimize it, not to spiritualize it. Just say, that's where I am right now and that's okay and making sure you're getting some good loving from a good support system and knowing that Christ himself is also honoring where you are as well.
1: Uh, I love that because I think you, as you know, so much of the church, especially the evangelical church hasn't always been great at at knowing how to deal with mental illness or talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so what advice would you give for people, maybe kind of on the micro level for individuals, mm-hmm. uh, how, how should they care for themselves? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any, uh, in light of mental health issues, um, mm-hmm. what what would you say to kind of the average person that might just be like, I, I haven't experienced this before, what are some practices I can do in the midst of this?
0: And um, and of just in general right now with COVID? Yeah. Dave, I mean, I always, a big plug for get therapy. Yes. <laughs> get Amen. Get support. You know, you can love Jesus and get your therapy and counseling. Um, so, no shame in that. I mean, there are opportunities with telehealth now. You know, there's lots of opportunities to engage. I know people are, tra- I, know, I know it can get expensive. So, definitely ask for support, sliding scales, interns to help you with that. Um, letting people know, again, not everyone needs to know your stuff. Sometimes it's not healthy. But letting people, you know, the trust of circle, I'm struggling right now. Because one of the things about mental illness, you feel like you're the only one and you're the only one struggling and it's not true and it's very isolating and it's very shameful for people feel very ashamed. But that, no, it's more common than you think. Um, and that get the help that you need if that includes medication. I just, I just, I'm all about breaking the stigma. You're not alone, whatever it is, depression, anxiety, OCD. It's okay to get the help that you need. And there's nothing wrong. You're not less faithful because you need extra support. So get it what you need um, in this season. Yeah. -hmm. I've
2: been. One is, how do you see in this season that, or in quarantine or COVID, that is um, contributing to exacerbating some some of people's ongoing mental health struggles? What are some of the things that might be contributing to exacerbating those things?
0: Gosh, I mean, again, it, it, and everyone's living situation is different, right? Mm-hmm. So if for some people, being, yeah. if you have a family or you're living with other people, it could be either the highlight or the low light of your life right
2: now.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> Depending on the situation, because oftentimes we use work and other things to escape from people. We don't, We're not conscious of it. But COVID has made it realize, oh my gosh, this person is in my life and they really have this issue. <laughs> you know. And so having to navigate that and say, oh my goodness, and being OK to say, wow, I didn't realize this is what happens when I'm in this community, whether it's a family or households or roommates, um, and people making sure they get their go- own work done. Um, then you have people who are living alone like myself. You know, That mm-hmm. brings its own challenges and gifts as well. Neither is better or worse. They're just very different. No. And you need to seek what works for you, you know? So I need to be intentional about connecting with people every day, whether Zoom, walk with friends, mask and physical distancing, of course. Um, you know, watching a show, knowing what I need. I've taken up painting, um, just to, to kind of get it out, you know, ways to connect with God, my own spiritual practices in the morning and the evening are all ways of grounding. Um, and that's just really important. And everyone has to pay, pay attention to what it looks different for everyone. Um, so making good meals, drinking a lot of water are all ways of caring for oneself um, well.
2: Another question I have, and it's around that stigma and shame question, because I feel, I, feel sure. like, I feel like the church contributes so much to that or has yes. oh, Diana, they touched on that a little bit. I'm if you have, I don't know that I have a specific question, but some of your thoughts on how the church has contributed to um, some of the shame around mental health um, and then maybe um, some of the ways that the church could do better.
0: Yes. The big thing, they're not talking about it. There was a recent study i think there's 30 to 35 percent they they uh the research said that that folks struggle with mental illness in the church but no one really preaches about it and there are plenty of cases they're not diagnostic in the bible but we have suicidal ideation elijah you know uh yeah. what's his name what's the, yeah. the whale jonah yeah um you know david at times was seemed very manic Um, We're not sure what's going on. They would, you know, that there are people who are highs and lows throughout. So I think it's just important to name that. You know, we can't put a DSM four on them and say this is what they had, but they had severe lows. They had uh, they, they were uncertain about a lot of things in their world. They wanted to die. These are all things we can apply right now. Because these are very similar to experiences that those who have mental illness struggle with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So just normalizing it and saying, "Hey, you know, this is this is real. These emotions are real. They're not. They don't make you less human or less faithful or less Christian." Um, that uh, and I think it would encourage so many people to hear a sermon about mental illness. Mm-hmm. That being sad and lonely is not does not make you less loved or less cared for. Um, It's just part of your story.
1: Um, Kind of change going in a different direction in light of what we're talking about too, but what are the practices of the church that you have found kind of fundamental to you? And maybe this could be a question of uh, another way to think about it is you know, what are the practices of the church that help people who have experienced trauma or who are experiencing mental illness? Um, could be another way to talk about that.
0: Oh, so I'll share one of my favorite stories. It's one of my favorite books, Sexual Violence by um, Marie Fortune, if you don't have it, grade it. Um, but we've talked about this, Dave, the role of ritual. I mean, mm-hmm. the church is so blessed to have so many rituals and we don't, at times, some sort of church communities don't really use the gift of ritual. In this book, she talks about a woman who was raped uh, in her home and it was gonna be the an- anniversary of the rape. So what she did was she called um, her friends from the church community and they did vigil for over 25 mm. hours. Every hour, someone was praying for her. Mm. During the, Throughout the night, someone was praying for her and that morning, they all came to her home and had a service that to bless beautiful. her home. right?
2: Mm-hmm. What an incredible
0: yeah. ritual. A therapist, I'm a therapist, I can't do that.
2: Yeah. Right, right.
0: But the church community can, the body of Christ can, you know? Um, and if someone is trying, another issue that we don't think about, we usually bring communion to folks who are physically ill, yeah. but there are people, this depression is so severe that they literally can't get out of bed. What would that look like to bring that ritual to them and to bless them? It's not that there's no shame in that. That, they, that the fact that they can't get out of bed because they're that really depressed will come to you. Hmm. we Will bring communion to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think ritual is a huge way that we can really um, bless and comfort those in our church community who have mental illness or who are recovering yeah. from trauma.
1: I think that's such a great point you raise about um, that really therapists and pastors can have this very complimentary relationship because I know, I say it in my class and I guarantee you say it in your class, a pastor is not a therapist. Right, Uh, yes. And there's so many problems when pastors try to play the role of therapist, uh, kind of armchair therapist. Don't Um, do it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Refer, 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 as we used to say. But I, 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 li- I like this, too, where it's saying there's some things therapists can't do that pastors can. And so it's really knowing how, to me, how these two can work together in really creative and beautiful ways that I think exactly. uh, could help more holistically care for a person. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to raise that up as I appreciate that point so much.
0: Right. I just want to quickly piggyback on that, Dave, is that One of the gifts that pastors can do, because before a congregant will actually come to a therapist with an issue, they'll come to you. Mm -hmm. So your role is so significant and the hermeneutic of belief, whatever the issue is, because I say in my class over and over again, what's worse than any traumatic event is when you share it and the person doesn't believe you or or minimizes it or minimizes your experience of depression or anxiety. Oh, the Lord, the the scripture says, you know, do not be anxious about anything. (laughs) That's not helpful, you know? But when someone, a pastor says, you know what? This sounds serious and I'm here to support you. Here's the role that I can play. I'm gonna pray for you and journey with you. But I also think it's helpful for you to see someone who knows more about this condition and that that they'll do their role. But as a pastor, I bless that you continue on with therapy. If you need medication, do that. Whatever is what's right for you. That really opens the door. Because some people are afraid, like, what will my pastor think, especially in some churches and church cultural communities, if I go to see a therapist and I'm on a medication. But when you actually get the blessing of your pastor, whether explicitly or implicitly, it gives people space to explore what therapy might be like and get the help that they need.
2: Well, one of the things I really appreciate about that is that it's um, it's a good word for pastors, but it's, I think it's also a good word for congregants and for the community um, to say if someone, because that's also a word, like if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm struggling with this, to believe them is mm-hmm. um, a good first step in the process. Um, mm-hmm. As you were talking about, because we've been talking a lot about the ways that churches care for individuals as, um, as an act of pastoral care. I'm wondering if you're. This is maybe a little bit out, or maybe this is right here. I don't know. Um, I'm wondering if your thoughts on the ways that churches can provide pastoral care in poor communities. Um, so, like I, I'm sitting right now, I look out of the doors, and I can imagine many things that are unfolding in homes on the block where I'm right here, where the church is. Um, what does it look like to take kind of the individual pastoral care and think about it as a communal care
0: model. Now, I love that you brought that up because that's part of my pastoral care class. (laughs) And that's just um, engaging what's in your community. I mean, most, especially right now, you've probably heard of this, but there's a higher rate of like domestic violence right now happening because of COVID and abuse. And many of these people are people of faith. And I know that, most shelters would appreciate getting some pastoral support and vice versa. You know, you need them, they need you, you know?
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So communicating with, you know, with those in your community, asking a therapist out for coffee, saying, you know what, you know, making sure you have the referrals, who's in your community, crisis centers. Um, We need each other um, to know that, hey, there's a pastor in the community who's willing to support us in any way, whether it's just getting education or providing financial support, um, having uh, folks come to your church community saying, here's what we do. Uh, Those are things you'll, it's amazing what folks in your church community don't know about what's in the actual community, Mm
2: -hmm. but there
0: are folks who are willing to support that's beyond your scope, because you can't do it alone as pastors. So working, I'm all about collaboration and working together. What are the gifts in the community? Most folks will want to engage, actually. Like, oh, I'm great that, because I don't know how to deal with the spiritual aspect of this person.
2: Mm-hmm. But you
0: guys know how to do that. And um, and it creates a really beautiful camarader- camaraderie that blesses everyone, whether you're a person of faith or not.
1: So, so as we re- kind of the last question we always wrap up with is, so in light of your specific vocation, what do you want to say to the church at this point?
0: Gosh, this is... Uh, oh, I'll end with the story. I love stories. Amen. Um, uh, so when I was younger, and I my nephews and nieces were younger, I was cooking fish sticks for them. And I have six nephews and nieces. And on that day, I was reheating these particular fish sticks. And my niece, Nia, um, I thought she wouldn't want them because my other niece, Imani, likes her food like clean and in like, or in order. Um, and the fish stick actually broke. And I was like, oh my gosh, Nia's not gonna want this because assuming I was projecting on her because Nini doesn't like broken stuff. So I saw the fish stick and I said to Nia, I said, honey, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm gonna make you or reheat another free fish, fish stick for you. And she looked at me, she was like five at the time. And she had a little list and she's like a little chipmunk cheeks and she said, <laughs> That's okay, Auntie Betty. I like broken things. And I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, I like broken things too.
2: Hmm.
0: Not in a way that like God indulges in our brokenness, but in a way that I think as humans, we're so afraid of our shadow, Mm. our brokenness, that we hide it away from others and then from ourselves. But it's we're reenacting that shadow in different ways. And I believe that it's okay to acknowledge the shadow, acknowledge the brokenness before Christ and before others, so that healing can come. There's no shame, wherever you've been, whatever your story is, that um, God is open to that and wants you to be open to that too.
1: Amen. Well, that's a wonderful place to end. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just wanna thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your work and your continued, both, uh, uh, in Chicago, but uh, around the world, and doing this uh, this work of helping people heal, and uh, that's holy work. And we thank you for it. Yeah, thank you
2: thank so much. You.